For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Make it kind. Make it kind. M-I-P. With Masamela Matsumo. Mark Thompson. Make it kind. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, as many of you know, one of my favorite organizations and efforts and campaigns is Color of Change. And many, many times we've had an opportunity to talk with our dear brother Rashad Robinson, but there is also a great deal of black woman magic taking place, especially of late at Color of Change. Uh, and that's a good thing because we need our black queens in the forefront of just about everything we need to get done right now. Two of the leaders of Color of Change are here with us right now. The brand new chair of the board is Heather McGee. Yeah. Heather, good to see you. How are you? I'm so glad to be here with you, Mark. All right. It's a pleasure to see you again. And Arisha Hatch is the vice president for campaigns, right? Yes, Did I have I, it right? Yes, I am. And you also are heading up the PAC, the Color Change PAC as well, right? Yes, Color Change Super PAC. Color Change Super PAC. Yeah. All right. Four years. For four years. Well, the first thing we were talking about off mic, folks, is I don't know how many of you realize this. Color Change came to be right after Katrina. Mm -hmm. It has been 15 years. I mean, that time has flown. I cannot believe it's been 15 years. And it's hard to believe because I'm, I'm only 30. <laughs> and I'm well, 25. That's what I'm talking about. Right, right. We, we know what's up. Um, Heather, you were, um, you came to be known to many of us at Demos. Yeah. And then when you left Demos, I was like, well, what's Heather going to do? She's too young to be retiring. <laughs> I was like, Wait, uh, I mean, did I miss some folk retiring? Younger than me? Nonprofits don't pay like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Younger than me? Um, but I'm I'm glad you're at Color Change. What what inspired you to come in this direction? So when I was running Demos, I was the president of Demos for four years, and I worked there for almost 16. And we were really a think tank for the movement, um, using research and advocacy and lawsuits to address inequality, racial inequality, economic inequality, and political inequality. And so often we partnered with grassroots and netroots organizations to make sure that the power of ideas aligned with the power of people. And in that work, I got to know Color of Change. I got to know Rashad and Arisha and all the incredible staff there. Um, and, and quite simply, there was no other organization that was as inspiring to me 
relentlessly on a daily basis because of the strategic choices that they were making, because Color of Change is able to take the presence of black people in society and move it strategically into power and to understand how the stories that were told uh, shape our outcomes, to understand that um, there are small, often small elections like DA and prosecutor races where if black people shows up, it changes the course of you know our young people's lives. Um, there was just no other organization that mostly online, the largest online racial justice organization that was doing it like Color of Change. So mm-hmm. um, I'm right now, I'm still a fellow at Demos. I'm working on a book. I'm developing a couple podcasts. I still do NBC and MSNBC, but I wanted to really serve and volunteer. So just a couple of months ago, I became the chair of the board of Color of Change. Yeah, outstanding. Congratulations. And, and we need you. Um, Arisha, as uh, Heather was alluding to, you know, the operative term is, the operative word is political science, not political art. And we have found with Color of Change, I mean, everybody's on social media. Mm -hmm. Everybody's tweeting and hashtagging everything. But Color of Change is one of the only entities that has been able to translate that into scientifically measurable results, hasn't it? Um, I don't know if we're one of the only ones, but we definitely come to work each day thinking about uh, what are the strategic things that we can give people to do mm-hmm. in response to the injustice that they're seeing in the world. And um, so we have a whole bunch of campaigners whose job, whose purpose um, for this moment in life is to see what's happening in the news, to follow um, large issue areas like criminal justice or economic justice or voting rights and to find opportunities where if we collectively come together and make a demand on a decision maker that we can actually achieve the change that we want to see in the world. Um, It feels sometimes like art. Um, It feels sometimes like we're um, trying to imagine and create a world, you know, that doesn't exist, mm-hmm. uh, but we've learned a lot of things along the way. Yeah, yeah. It, one of the things I like to do too, Heather, when when I'm talking to people and people will call me and say, we need to do something. We need some advice on how to organize this. And I'll say to people, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Mm. Dr. King gave us four steps mm. in a letter from Birmingham jail. Mm. Color of change follows those steps. Step number one being collection of the evidence. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you go to color change, you get all the information about what's going on. Um, negotiation, direct action. Um, Direct action, color of change, has really brought it into the next era where, of course, and I I still support physical direct action, but now we have online direct action, don't we? That's right. And one of of the things that I love about color of change is um, the way they we are focused on holding corporations and governments accountable. And so often people miss that corporations part. Like take for example, all the outrage that we all felt and have been feeling at the rise and the mainstreaming of white nationalism and white supremacy, right? Mm-hmm. Suddenly this is just something that someone could, you know, pop open their laptop and become a member of, you know, what is the latter day KKK. And it's right. just, you know, it's just out there in the open. It's so accessible. It's so mainstream. And so what Color of Change did was they said, okay, let's look at the map of where these people are getting their Reese's from, these hate websites. And so often they're being funded um, you know, by donations. And who's processing those donations? You know what? It's big companies, the credit card companies, the PayPals of the world that don't actually want to be associated with hate. So let's cut off the spigot. 
And that's what Color of Change did. They gathered our signatures in order to put pressure on the middleman, the bankers, the money processors, and they cut it off, right? Yeah. Um, we did a lot of work there. Uh, and it, and yet the tide still rises. It's like one, poten- one specific intervention point that we made um, around the rise in white supremacy. Um, and yet we also understand that there's a whole bunch of culture change that has to happen um, in order to actually completely rid ourselves. You know, it's I like to say to people, too, when we look at the online world, there's a lot of mischief, too, <laughs> directed at our people. Color mm-hmm. change challenged Facebook, didn't mm-hmm. it? And, you know, color change, I mean, y- y'all are friends of mine. The organization is, I consider, part of my comradeship. So when Facebook was coming for color change, I'm like, you know, <laughs> I'm done with Facebook. <laughs> great, great. But, I mean, that was an example of taking on what's happening on the internet and in the online world when it comes to targeting our people. And what I love to see about that was that the executives of Facebook then felt like they needed color of change to say they were doing okay, mm-hmm. right? They mm-hmm. started blowing up Rashad's phone mm-hmm. and you know, I'm the, the chair of the board, and so we would have these conversations, and Rashad would say, you know, Cheryl keeps calling me, and, <laughs> you know, and we, we keep having to have these conversations about what they need to do on civil rights, on their diversity of their staff, on how they look at hate speech, on how they counter misinformation, on how they're suppressing the, the activism of Black Lives Matter on Facebook. All of these issues that, that we, the people, have with the big tech platforms like Facebook and Twitter um, and all of the other social media platforms, you know, color of change is really holding that space, holding their feet to the fire. And right now, the tech companies feel like they need to answer to what color of change says is the standards. Um, Arisha, how does color of change determine the campaigns that it's going to initiate? And Say, for example, there are people in, in the larger community, black folk, there's an issue affecting someone in a community. Can they come to Color and Change and say, hey, we'd like you all to take leadership on this? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, we um, really organize ourselves into different issue areas, and we have a strategy within those different issue areas. So, for example, in criminal justice reform, we're trying to push back against those that are profiteering from police violence and mass incarceration. And once we get to that high level theory of change, then there are several buckets of work that come from that. Where are the places where people are profiteering from mass incarceration and police violence? And so we started talking about bail, um, uh, a, a predatory bail industry that um, continues to lock poor people up before they even get a trial. We, we come to prosecutors who 2,400 of um, of whom are elected um, across the country and who have seemed over the last several decades to profiteer from this tough on crime rhetoric and tough on crime policy. And once we've sort of mapped out our strategy, we then, because we know these abuses are happening, when we see a story in the world that reflects those problems that we see, we are strategically thinking about what can our members do together to force our way into a conversation with the actual decision maker. And I think that's what we've gotten really good at. Um, you know, we there's a ton of horrible things happening mm-hmm. on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a user of Facebook. Color of Change uses Facebook. Right. You know, these platforms were built um, and, and messaged as places for, for good. 
Um, uh, but um, when things start to go wrong, what color of change has become really strong at is getting into a conversation um, with folks that can actually make the change, leveraging those members, um, uh, petitions and comments and the activity that they're um, pushing on social media and um, trying to hold, um, um, speak truth to power once we're in those sorts of conversations. Um, if a, if a, a member or anybody sees some sort of racial injustice, particularly those that affect black people out in the world, they can come and start their own petition on our platform, mm -hmm. Organize For. Um, they can, just like our original founders um, did after um, Hurricane Katrina um, hit in 2005, uh, they can send that petition out to their friends and family, and they can begin to build their own organic movement um, before we then send it out to our broader um, email list um, and we've seen um, lots of successes from folks who are having problems in their own daily lives mm -hmm. um, saying you know what this time I'm gonna I'm gonna speak up I'm gonna say something I'm gonna come to the organized for platform and um, try to make a change what would you say have been some of the greatest victories you've witnessed color of change achieve since you've been there Oh, um, uh, one of the first campaigns I worked on when I got to Color of Change in 2012 uh, was pushing a back against this right-wing organization called ALEC, American Legislative Exchange mm -hmm. Council, Lord which was pushing forth a lot of different model bills, one of which were d discriminatory voter ID laws, um, which were uh, – spanning across the country, as well as stand your ground laws. And so I came on in February 1st of 2012. I'll never forget. Um, it was just after my 30th birthday. And two weeks later, Trayvon Martin was killed. And his uh, confessed murderer sat unarrested because of this law that none of us had ever heard of at the time. And it was because we were already engaged um, engaged in a campaign around ALEC, around um, talking to corporations about voter ID laws that we thought were extremely problematic, that we were then able to quickly recognize that the same committee within this right-wing organization that was pushing uh, voter ID laws were also pushing stand-your-ground laws. And it allowed us to go back to the corporations like Coca-Cola and Pepsi and Kraft, whom we'd already been engaged in a conversation about their support of ALEC, to say, now you really, really can't. Yeah. Now you yeah. really, really can't support this. Yeah. Um, and so that was really my introduction to not only color of change, but to the corporate accountability work, the power of um, pushing back against corporations. Uh, and we had almost 100 corporations leave out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and they had to, you know, give up their lease and they've become much less powerful than they were then because the color of change has worked. And, and, and that's, that's power too, being able to hold corporations accountable. You know, it's a cliche now to even, there's, there's even one show, I won't name it, on MSNBC that has a commercial that says, we speak truth to power. And I'm like, what, who are they talking about? <laughs> but but this, is, this is truth to power in a real sense yeah. because you all in the room, again, letter from Birmingham jail, mm -hmm. negotiation. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I like to remind people, we, we talk about presidential politics. When Kennedy and Johnson were president, uh, they had to check with MLK right. before they made decisions and made moves, you know, and that that has disappeared, vanished somehow when it comes to the White House, even among some Democratic presidents. Mm -hmm. But to to be in the room mm -hmm. and to be able to say directly to people with the force and power of the sheer numbers 
color of change has behind it, right? Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And that's why, for example, in this presidential primary, um, Color of Change has started a new podcast, uh, part of its Voting While Black platform. The podcast is called Voting While Black, and, and folks sit down mostly with Rashad Robinson, our president, and each of the presidential candidates um, has lined up to, you know, to sit down and answer questions that come from our members, questions that come from our leadership. Um, and so, you know, people can find anywhere you can find podcasts, you know, good substantive interviews mm-hmm. entirely on black issues with Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, you know, people who have since dropped out but are still in our politics like Cory Booker and Kamala Harris. Um, the only people who have not yet sat down for the Color of Change Voting While Black podcast are uh, the late comer, Mayor Bloomberg. And we're very, look, very much excited mm-hmm. to see him have to answer to to black issues and actually the right now still the front runner among the black vote, um, Joe Biden, who needs to get in that chair. Has, has Deval Patrick come on yet? Have you his actually Deval has not. Yeah. So and our our final black candidate. Yeah, yeah. And and that's important because it's interesting. I mean, we know now people finally have acknowledged you can't win the presidency without the black vote. I don't know that people have truly acknowledged that. I mean, to be honest, Mark, you know, we've got people talking about Pete Buttigieg as more electable than other folks, and he has 0% of the black vote. How are you Mm going to get out of the Democratic primary past Mm -hmm. Iowa and New Hampshire? How are you going to energize the black vote, which which is required for anybody to beat a Republican, much less Donald Trump? I I don't see it. But the fact that that can even, that sentence, that, Buttigieg is more electable, can even come out of people's mouths, means they're not really thinking about how important black people are. And I think part of the problem, part of the miscalculation is that um, folks, including the Democratic Party, um, have felt like black voters are just in the bag already mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because we are the most reliable voting right. block for Democrats and have been for years. Right. Um, there is this expectation that they don't have to come into our communities, mm-hmm. they don't have to talk about our issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're seeing, I think, a generational shift in which millennials on down actually want to hear from folks. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we're much more independent-minded. We're, mm-hmm. we're in- increasingly disenchanted with the power of politics to even shift our lives right. or to care about us. And so, you know, I think we're reaching this sort of tipping point, um, and we started to see it the last election cycle, but I think we're reaching a tipping point in which the party and the candidates have to change how they think about their approach yeah. towards us. Well, and it's not only that. I mean, we're talking about black folk in general, but since 2016, people are just realizing the importance of the black women's vote mm-hmm. in particular. That's right. Aren't they? That's I mean, right. we There's saw what black women more. did in 2016, mm-hmm. the difference that made. We saw what happened with uh, 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 Roy Moore mm-hmm. down in Alabama. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that makes a difference, too. And, in fact, you know, a lot of speculation is a Democratic nominee is going to have to put a black woman on the ticket, period. And and really, if you think about it, this era that we are in that started with the fact that, you know, this very qualified woman won three million more votes and did right. not, you know, walk into the White House. Um, that era began there. You know, there was a flashpoint moment with the Women's March. And then you had Me Too and, you know, the Kavanaugh hearings where that, 
white man sat up there and just yeah. yelled throughout his job interview <laughs> and then got a job he can't be fired from. You know, I mean, every person who's not a white man looked at that and thought, well, ain't that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, these these insults, right, the attacks on our, our, our bodily autonomy that have been happening from, you know, in state legislatures across the country and stacking the courts with people who want to take our, our reproductive freedom away, all of these insults have made this a moment of women's political power. Black, white, and everything in between women's political power. We had 2018, the midterm elections, the m record number of women running, right. record number of women winning. We now have the most diverse um, in terms of race and gender um, Congress in the history of the United States, and it's because of women's activism. You know, I, I sit here as uh, on the board of Color of Change. I also know organizations like Move On and Indivisible, all right, these right. Netroots organizations. Y'all, the secret is these are women's organizations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you look at who is doing the activism, mm -hmm. who is mm -hmm. showing up to, for example, in, in you know, Color of Change, we have these black brunches mm -hmm. that are all over the country where women are organizing and gathering and then taking their marching orders to organize their friends and family into politics and into activism. This is the era. This is our era. Yeah, yeah. Some of the uh, recent campaigns that Color Change has been involved in, um, you know, I, I have home training, <laughs> and I try to be polite. But, you know, I'll say over the past probably 15 years or so, several times I've been invited to a wedding on a former plantation. No. And I don't want to. You've been invited? Yeah, and, 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 no, I mean these are black folk though. Black folks have weddings on these. Yeah, some black folks. I've been to black weddings at such and such plantation, and I don't want to tear up somebody's wedding. You know, no, people right, already think right. I'm, you know, <laughs> wild militant anyway. So you know, just be cool, Mark. Don't say nothing. I have been to black weddings. As a matter of fact, there's one very prominent in Maryland mm. that a lot of black folk have gone mm. to, and I and I just said, so what the what? So. I'm trying to be polite and nice and not say something. I, you know, I just can't fight every battle, so I figure, well, I guess it's just, just what we're doing now. And when y'all came forward with that campaign, I was like, thank God. And so I didn't have to do it. <laughs> I didn't have to do it myself. But I was like, thank God y'all have spoken up about these weddings on these mm -hmm. plants. First of all, I mean, they just shouldn't. that shouldn't be happening yeah. mm -hmm. to begin with. Yeah. And then here's another way for some place that enslaved our people to profit mm -hmm. off of what we're doing. But but mm -hmm. that was successful, wasn't that? Yeah, it was really successful. And and I'll say it's strange how quickly things become normalized. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, there's a white celebrity couple that has a wedding and all of a sudden it's all over Pinterest right, or right, all over right. Instagram. And now mm -hmm. everybody wants to have that aesthetic, to have that look, um, you know, for their own Instagram pictures. And so um, we recognized there was an article, that w a wonderful article that was written in The Nation. Um, and we were like, yeah, this is deeply problematic. And as our campaigners were sitting around thinking, what can we do about this? Um, the question was, you know, we know we can't go to the plantations themselves because they're profiting. Who we can go to are folks like Pinterest, uh, folks right, like Zola.com, right. folks like Martha Stewart's Wedding Magazine, mm -hmm. Brides Magazine, and say, hey, Hey, do you recognize what you're doing? We know mm -hmm. that this is really seems really normal right now, but if you actually <laughs> take a step back, um, you know, if uh, uh, Auschwitz decided to, you right. know, 
buy ads in your magazine asking people to come have weddings at a wedding at a Holocaust site. Yeah, at a, a concentration camp. camp. You would say you would be offended. You would be yeah. horrified. Yeah. yeah. And what we saw when we started reaching out to these companies first with a letter before we started talking to our members about it was that once for some of them, once you actually pointed that out, they were like, oh, yeah, you're right. That's that's really bad. Let let us right. let us begin to think about the things that we can change. And so we had companies changing how you could search for a plantation wedding. They sort of like uh, disallowed those searches. They went through their advertisers list and said, oh, we're not going to take money from X, Y, Z um, um, companies. They pulled down content that was glamorizing or glorifying um, these type of antebellum weddings. Mm -hmm. um, and it forced a conversation not only nationally, um, but also internally in a lot of these corporations about what was acceptable and unacceptable content for them to be promoting. No, really. You know, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's some black folk who've, who've, and I know people don't have a lot of options when they, they want to have mm -hmm. something nice for a wedding. But I've been to a couple of black weddings over the years. I'm like, well, why are we having this here? And what kills me is the idea that you're not, listen, I think these are plantations. I think that we need to be going to plantations and talking about what happened to our ancestors in right. these places, right? right? I mean, there's a very different thing. It's, it's, you know, making a memorial, talking about, you know, reclaiming the land. But if you weren't doing a, you know, land reclamation ceremony <laughs> before you, you got to the raw bar, I don't think that that was an appropriate plantation wedding. You know? No, not at all, not at all. Um, the Crown Act. Now, um, we had uh, April Rain on the live show. Um, she took over your social media, Color yes. Changes social media, for uh, Oscar So White. And uh, in her own words earlier, uh, Oscars are still so white. Um, but Hair Love won an Oscar. Uh, and Brother Cherry mentioned the Crown Act. Mm -hmm. You all have been working on that as well, correct? Yeah. Um, the Crown Law... The Crown Act, we think, is really important legislation. It's trying to, at the state level, ban hair discrimination in the workplace, which we know affects so many black people across the board. I remember when I was coming through law school, I was told, like, you cannot go to that law firm. You can't walk into that white law firm with these braids in your hair. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, And it's a conversation that I think lots of black women are having on uh, like how how we show up and are presentable in our own right. in our own body and our own skin um and so i you know these these uh these award shows especially the oscar uh, the oscars haven't been about black people for a while there's not a lot in there for us i think personally um but it was beautiful to see this conversation um, at least playing out on public stage um, because so many people and I don't think you know I don't think all people are bad I think a lot of people just don't think about it because it doesn't yeah. affect them yeah. um, are, are, are being you know impacted um, by this uh, by this sort of biased worldview and we had that young man who yes. from Texas who was not allowed to walk in the graduation ceremony from right. his school because um, unless he cut his dreadlocks yeah um, now his name was DeAndre Arnold. You know it went viral. This mm -hmm. this injustice, and so Matthew Cherry and Karen um, Rupert Oliver, who were the producers and director of Hair Love, which is a short animated film about a black dad doing his daughter's hair, um, uh, brought him to the Oscars. That's my story. I, I mean that movie speaks directly. I used to try to do my try mm -hmm. to do my daughter's hair. Mm -hmm. 
And <laughs> I see a track. There you go. <laughs> had a couple. Had a couple good days, but yeah. for the most part, no. <laughs> I remember my father trying to do my hair. Um, it's it's a beautiful short animated film. It's an Oscar-winning short animated film. It was, you know, funded in large part by Kickstarters from the community. You know, I've been watching them, um, you know, on social media for years now, trying to get this movie made. You can watch it in its entirety online, which is great, for free. Yeah. Um, and it's a real celebration of us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it, it's, it is. it's great. And he, and Matthew Cherry shouted out the Crown Act from the stage. Well, he sure did. And and just speaking, just so everyone's clear, Arisha, on the Crown Act, because, again, it's about enlightening people. Part of the problem is there are people who look like us aren't in the room. Mm-hmm. Somebody's probably asking, well, why is it called the Crown Act? And they might be th- think we're talking about the Queen of England, but we aren't. <laughs> Explain for, for the unenlightened. When we say crown, what are we talking about? I mean, I think, well, maybe I could be totally wrong. I think we're talking about no, of course you're right. our head. Of course. Now, yeah. And it stands for create... Uh, and a respectful and open world for natural hair. That's right. That's, That's that right. is what the the acronym is. And you know, people can go on the Color Chains website, start a petition, send it to their community, um, you know, and get it to the state legislature to pass. It, because that's the type of thing that you won't know if somebody, you right. know, behind closed doors is losing a job or a promotion because of the way they they wear their natural hair. You yeah. know, we're sitting mm-hmm. here, people can't see, but you know, um, Arisha has braids. You know, Mark and I have locks. You know, p- that needs that expression needs to be protected because yeah. it's a natural part of our culture. Um, and you may not know if it's legal right now in your state for somebody to discriminate because of the way you look. So, again, for those of you who watch MSNBC, our friend and colleague Joanne Reed, for the past, I guess, two since the beginning of the year, has worn braids on the air because of the law that was changed in New York. Mm-hmm. And, there was, and she wears them all the time now. Uh, I mean, there was a time when you could be discriminated against. Mm-hmm. You could lose your job or be kicked off of television for wearing your hair in that way. So that's very. So when we say crowns, folks, we're talking about you know the hair on our head, the way our heads um, are portrayed, and the way we present them, and also because we as African people all wear a crown, a crown that was denied. So this is this is very important work that Color Change is doing. The Super PAC. So tell us about that and 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 what what that's up to. Yeah, Color of Change Super PAC was started in 2016, um, because you know this was you know in the a little bit in the aftermath of uh, the movement for Black Lives, and we were at the time, if we can take ourselves back to 2016, being fed I don't know weekly videos of police violence, and uh, we were sending out petitions, we were doing our normal thing, and yet. There were never any people, officers arrested. There were never any indictments. There were definitely never convictions that were happening. And, um, you know, despite the fact that uh, black movement had become this sort of global conversation, despite the fact that we are incredibly present, you know, folks had taken to the streets in Ferguson and a number of other places um, for weeks trying to protest um, and launch a national conversation about what we've been experiencing in our communities, we didn't have the power to actually see the changes that we wanted to see. And we were throwing around ideas like who should, you know, who should we be focused on? Is it the governor? Is it the, and um, we kept coming back to the prosecutor. The prosecutor was the problem, Um, not just in terms of police violence, but in terms of the way our communities were being policed, um, in terms of the numbers of people that were ending up in a system of incarceration that affected their families for generations. Um, And, you know, there was some research that was coming out at the time 
time from um, an organization called Women's Donors Network, and they actually said that there were 2,400 elected prosecutors across the country. More than 80% ran completely unopposed. More than 90% were white men. Mm -hmm. And we thought to ourselves, can we complicate that? Can we? What would it meant if people had a choice for prosecutor? I didn't know I could vote for my prosecutor, Mm -hmm. and it was because there was never a choice Mm -hmm. um, to do that. And so we launched the pack in an effort to try to intervene, to identify candidates who would are would begin to talk about criminal justice and criminal justice reform in ways that were more progressive that would you know no longer use tough on crime rhetoric that would talk about community safety in an authentic way that actually resonated with black people um and um you know since we've um, elected dozens of prosecutors many of whom are black um into our communities and they're making real changes they're changing the way that bail is leveraged they're changing um they're making decisions different decisions about whether to prosecute someone for marijuana possession for example Mm -hmm. they're being more transparent in terms of the data that they release uh, about the work that the prosecutors in their offices are doing um and crime isn't going up um and so we know that these you know things can happen but at the same time Um, And so we've been doing that sort of work ever since 2016. We also, um, we have members, member leaders, volunteers who are knocking on doors, calling their friends and family, texting their friends and family. Donating to the pack. Donating to that. That's right. You can go online and donate your dollars to the Color of Change pack to pool it and make sure that it gets, you know, leveraged in the fight for justice. Yeah. And and, and that's important because that's a new thing. You know, we... We historically, as a black electorate in the Democratic Party exclusively, have not leveraged a lot of our dollars financially. Mm-hmm. We leveraged our, our numbers mm-hmm. and our moral authority. Mm-hmm. But now that we have, we got black packs, y'all. Mm-hmm. That changes the whole landscape, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. That's right. Because that means that candidates come to us and say, what right. do we need to do to have your support? That's right. That's um, right. And particularly, it matters with a progressive candidate that is not being backed by, you know, private prisons, that is not being right, backed right, right. by big corporations and wealthy people um, who, you know, want, have their own political ambitions. You actually need to to put your money where your mouth is in supporting them. You do actually yeah. really need um, to, you know, politics takes money. Um, until we completely change the laws That's so right. that it doesn't That's take right. money, so working class people can run and win, um, you know, we we have to play the game and we need to support. Cummings our- once said to me mm-hmm. years ago when he first got to Congress, he said, "Mark, the problem is is that many of us in the Congressional Black Caucus have a constituency that votes of us votes for us to represent them, but the majority of our funding mm-hmm. doesn't come from within that very same community." That's exactly right. And, and that has been a historical problem. That's why you've had some black caucus members kind of go mm-hmm. astray and then others struggle to stay central and, and dedicated to that community that elected them. So this this is big. This is big. And this is also why campaign finance reform is a racial justice issue. Yeah. Because if you do things like what we have in New York, right, New York City, where you have um, you know matching public dollars, to fund people running for office, for city council, and for mayor, and for public advocate. And, you know, our governor keeps trying to throw throw a wrench in it, but we are on our path to getting that statewide in New York State. Then you can have someone who is, you know, a school teacher or someone who is a nurse saying, you know what, I can run 
to elect my community because public dollars are going to fund you know, the race, and that's it's right. not going to be me reliant on rich people and corporations. Yeah. So that's how you have to change the system. And until that system is changed across the country, you need to put, we need to support. Because, you know, white people will support the candidates that they want. Put the money where the mouth is. Arisha, and, and the examples you gave in terms of people in positions that we don't think, see, sometimes people think, the only thing to vote for is president. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, and when we start talking about prosecutors and whatnot, that's very important too. Um, but I think there's even a lesson in this because you know what happened on social media in the past eight months. You know there was a whole campaign, a black woman prosecutor, and it was existential. Folk were saying, "Well, she's a prosecutor. Any any black person who's a prosecutor is automatically no good." Mm-hmm. And the rest of us are, "Wait, wait, wait." What is that about? I mean, we struggle to be in all of these positions mm-hmm. so that we can make a difference. And see, folks, that's the point I'm making. Color change, which is true and genuine to our people and our community, versus just any, anybody can put anything they want to on social media. Mm-hmm. Right. But that does not mean it is legit and is representative. Deep dive, stop online, violence against women discovered. A lot of those accounts uh, uh, singing that song weren't even real black accounts. Mm-hmm. So what you said, articul- this is from an organization, folks, Color of Change, that has been in this game for a long time, saying we have to be engaged. We can't complain about criminal justice, what's going on in law enforcement, if we aren't engaged in putting people who look like us in it. There's always going to be police and prosecutors. So why shouldn't there be black women and black men police and prosecutors who can be there to make decisions on our behalf? And, no. that's, and that's, what, that's what this is all about. Yeah, well, it's about that and... Um, it's not looking like us is great. It also there has also has to be a set of shared values that are really important. And so we've now seen prosecutors races um, in Philadelphia where um, the black candidate wasn't the best candidate in terms of right. the policies That's true. Right. we wanted to see. They were toting the old line, and, and you know, and sometimes it's unfair because you know, as the black person, you, it's hard to be. Um, the person that's changing the status quo. Sometimes you just sort of say the yeah. company line. Um, but, you know, I think it's both diversity, but it's more than that. It's electing people that actually share our values and that can be held accountable um, to our communities. That is incredibly important. And look, you know, um, you know, I'm I'm from California um, and am a big fan of Kamala Harris in a lot of different ways. The fact that they and and you know, think it's incredibly unfair that, you know, there's another prosecutor on the stage, a former right. prosecutor on the stage, but for some reason folks really focused in on her record. But I think that is also part of that is a result of the fact that there is now a conversation about how prosecutors can be different, how we can yeah. expect more from them. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, but it, it, it was a movement moment to be having that conversation, I think, in a, in a national mm-hmm. setting. Yeah. Like she got a question on the debate stage, and we were like, wow, um, right. this is strange that this is happening now. Yeah, yeah. Because um, Amy Klobuchar also was a prosecutor. So well, and, 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 and Bernie and Biden voted for the crime bill. Mm-hmm. And Bloomberg is stopping frisk. So I'm watching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not going to take a sister out and then everybody, we're not even going to bring that. Yep. You yeah. took out Hillary, yeah. who didn't even vote for the crime bill. Yeah. You know, yeah. I heard a super predator in 2008. Mm-hmm. That didn't come up in 2008 mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Then it comes up 
mm-hmm. eight years later. I'm like, wait a minute, we, we didn't even know. Most black, black folk didn't even know there was super mm-hmm. predator. So, I mean, it's it's a woman thing, too. Women are being held, mm-hmm. at, you know, to a higher standard, particularly mm-hmm. a black woman. But but again, you know, and Kamala and I talked about that, and this is the campaign you all want. Mm-hmm. We, you want people in those positions that are progressive mm-hmm. and uphold those values and not just blanketly say that anybody who's a prosecutor or a cop is no good because those people still in our community making decisions. Mm-hmm. We need to educate people to go in there and, and bring about change. Mm-hmm. Speaking of California, though, mm-hmm. um, um, fair play. Mm-hmm. Color change played a big role in that, too. March Madness is coming up, yes. which, by the way, folks, makes more money than the Super Bowl, World Series, NBA Finals. Wow. I mean, seriously. I mean, March Madness, mm-hmm. all that. Prince money. Wow. Right. I mean, yeah. So not a dime of that. Mm-hmm. And we've been saying for years that is another form of exploitation of primarily African-American athletes. Yeah. And so the Fair uh, Pay to Play Act, which was passed in California and will go in effect in a couple of years, is actually going to force California schools to pay amateur athletes. Um, and we think it's incredibly ins- exciting um, given, uh, you know, how much uh, – Athlete, athletes from our families are helping others to profit. Um, we think it's incredibly, uh, um, you know, t- potentially has the ability to shift the landscape and how we think about amateur sports. Um, uh, and California is going to be the first state that moves forward with this. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But mm-hmm. if I'm an athlete and I'm choosing between a school in Louisiana or UCLA or US, um, uh, and one of those states has, um, right. you know, this act in place. Um, it, we think it makes California much more competitive, and we'd like to see uh, other states also follow Absolutely. their lead. Again, another great initiative by Color Change. Um, Madam Chair? Yes. Ed, in your tenure, what would you like to see Color Change do that it hasn't done already? What mm. is... What is Color Change 2.0, if you will, going to look like by the time uh, your chair, your tenure chair is over? That is such a great question, Mark. Thank you for for asking it. So um, uh, Arisha's been with the organization for eight years. Next year will be Rashad Robinson's 10-year anniversary of being the president of Color of Change. When Mm -hmm. he joined, it was... Um, you know, a few hundred people on an email list. It was about a million dollar organization. Now it'll be about 20, not including, you know, the PAC work, which is separate. Um, that's an incredible amount of growth. And the fact that you have CEOs of the most powerful companies, you know, trying to get Rashad's cell phone number to sit down because they're going to have a Rashad Robinson problem if they don't, right. if they don't mm-hmm. do right, um, is, is a real um, testament to his leadership and the impact that Color Change has right now. We need to be political forces. I don't think that, I think nobody, frankly, I think campaigning in terms of holding corporate actors um, accountable uh, better than Color Change does, not in the the social justice space. Um, But there is so much room for us to grow in terms of politics. Um, The fact that presidential candidates, most of them felt they need to come and, you know, and, and talk about our issues on our podcast, Voting While Black, that's great. Next time around, you know, across the country, we need to be having color change, funneling the energy, the activism, and the dollars of black people into making make-or-break political power for black people in state legislatures, in city councils, governorships, 
as well as the DA races. Um, you know, Color of Change often talks about moving from presence. Black people are here. We're visible. We're, in fact, in some ways overrepresented in terms of our impact on the culture, right? You all saw mm -hmm. that Google ad that was like the most searched, and it was like 25 things, mm -hmm. you know, athlete, speech, you know, yeah. all these yeah. things, and it was all black people. Great. We're here. But do we have the power to change the rules so that our families can thrive? Yeah. That is the question. And those decisions and those rules are being written in the halls of power. So we need to be powerful politically. Same question for you, Arisha Hatch. Uh, you've been you've been at this for a minute. Mm -hmm. You know, how would you kick this up a notch? Um, you know, for the majority of time that I've been at Color of Change, we've thought of ourselves as an online racial justice organization. Um, and we thought our members, they just wanted to sign petitions or share things on mm -hmm. social media. And so we didn't invite them to a lot of things in the real world. And now, um, because of some of the work that the PAC did, started doing in 2016, we are seeing that our members actually want to build offline community and they actually want to build offline local power. Wow. And so when I imagine color of change in the next 10 years, I imagine us having um, real folks on in states and places who are building power with their local prosecutor, with their local mayor, with the local school board, their people, um, uh, they will be known as a force locally to reckon with. And they will be focused and what they're focused on now, but it'll be an expansion. They're, they'll be focused on empowering black joy in their communities. And so that's not just about showing up to vote or being counted in the census. It's, right, you know, right. but it's about trying to realize this vision of uh, black joy for their families and friends. Good point. Um, and so um, that's where I imagine like people will people color of change will be a household brand and the work that we do will be a household brand and that will allow us to push for more significant change well and i like what you said too i mean this is 365 days a year mm -hmm. if we're really going to be in mm -hmm. struggle mm -hmm. if we're going to you know carry out eternal vigilance it's not just the census everybody 2020 census and voting we get that that's but 2021 is going to be 2021 so there's state legislative races mm -hmm. that affect that census and redistricting. Mm -hmm. There's this continuing online voter suppression. Um, the work that you all are doing is very important. And as I said, mm -hmm. uh, I um, prioritize and laud more than anything else, scientifically measurable mm -hmm. difference making, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what color change is doing. Done. Folks, we invite you to go to colorchange.org, get involved sign a petition, listen out to how you can do offline organizing as well. I think that's great. Uh, congratulations to you both. Thank you. I think, I think everything's going to be all right with the two of y'all. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Heather McGee, chair of the board, Arisha Hatch. She was the vice president of uh, campaigns and head of the Super PAC as well. Folks, we invite you again, once again, to go to Color of Change, the legitimate organization online doing work. As I've said a thousand times, everything that you are seeing, scrutinize it. We have to reopen our third eyes and know that which is real, you know, from that which isn't real and is being targeted at us. You know, it's, it's important to note the group that is most targeted for disinformation mm -hmm. is us. Mm -hmm. That's right. And there's a reason for that. That's mm -hmm. why you're so, a super predator. Right, right. <laughs> so somebody knows our enemies mm -hmm. know our power greater than we know it ourselves. That's if right. we're the ones being targeted and don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. So there's something our enemy knows about our power mm -hmm. that we need to learn. Color of Change is trying to teach us that. Thank you 
both Heather and Carisha for being here. Thank, Thank you, Mike. All right. Take care now. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Also, subscribe to Make It Plain and Get Woke daily. Check out makeitplain.com to subscribe. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.